Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which is a new release that got put online after a short theatrical run before the theaters got shut down. So we're back to talking about 2020 movies just for this week, and I'm happy to be joined by my friend Ben Lubin to talk about this one. Ben, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me, Josh. Uh, I was lucky enough to see this in theaters a little over a month ago, and honestly, it would be one of my favorite movies of the year, even if I hadn't had like everything else cut short by coronavirus. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, I, I, it's something that like if if this was going to be a full year of movies, which it obviously isn't, and that's a that's a whole other podcast, I think. Like how like what the Oscars are even going to look like when like there's this whole chunk taken out of the year, and maybe a lot of stuff will get put at the end of the year. But like this is one I could feel comfortable saying would probably still be at the top end of my list, even if we had a a full year of movies, because I like this movie uh, that much. But, yeah, I would uh, not be surprised if this ends up in my year on top 10, like, either way. Yeah, so. definitely. So uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always is the newest movie from Eliza Hitman. It's her third feature film. Her previous two were Beach Rats and It Felt Like Love. And But Never Rarely, Sometimes Always is her first kind of studio movie. It's done with focus features. It focuses on two young girls in rural Pennsylvania, one named Autumn, played by first-time actress Sydney Flanagan, and then her cousin named Skylar, also a first-time actress who is portray- portrayed by Talia Ryder. And uh, these two girls have to go on a bit of a road trip of sorts as uh, Autumn takes a pregnancy test and tests positive, but the only gynecologist in her town is not that friendly, and in Pennsylvania, you need the consent of a parent to get an abortion. So they decide to go to New York, where there is not such a law in place to try and make that happen, but they encounter a lot of roadblocks along the way. Uh, ben, we're both men in our 20, in our late mid to late 20s, and this is a movie about teenage girls going through an experience that's pretty foreign to us. So I guess I want to start by asking you, what about this movie really struck a chord with you? And it's really not an experience that either of us would ever go through or ever ever, ever have any reason to go through. Yeah, I mean, I I think I I came into this movie with kind of very mixed expectations. Um, I'd heard really good things about uh, Beach Rats. Yeah, I actually I should say I haven't watched either of those movies. I really want to now after uh, watching this, and I meant to try and get the beach rats, and I could. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in the same boat. This was this was my first uh, Eliza Hittman movie, yeah. um, but I'd, I'd heard really good things about beach rats. I'd heard that she was a filmmaker worth watching, but I did have some fears about this potentially being kind of just a very didactic issue movie. Right. And at the same time, I was also worried that it might go way too far in the other direction and kind of present this very kind of histrionic sexual terror in the world. Like, I don't know if you saw, um, there's a movie that came out a couple of years ago called white girl. No, that's the one that has the girl from Homeland. Morgan, Morgan Sorry. Sailor. Yeah. Who I, who I actually um, kind of like, but no, I did not see that movie. Yeah, no. Um, there are a lot of things about the movie I like, but the way it presents its world and it's, it's kind of a similar movie that deals with, kind of issues of sex and and gender um, and operating within the world as a woman, um, especially kind of as a young woman. And there was kind of an element of just how histrionic uh, the world was that I don't think really did it justice. And I, I kind of had some fears going to Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, yeah. that it would either be a very dry didactic issue movie or that. And I think what really shocked me about the movie was one just how beautifully character focused it was mm-hmm. um 
and two, how it presented the issues that kind of surrounded Autumn, Autumn main character? Yep, yep. Okay, just double-checking. And the way it presented the issues surrounding Autumn as very grounded, and and it presented those issues very subtly. Like, the thing that kind of caught me early on, um, and I think the first moment that I realized that we were, I was in for something very special was when Autumn and, and her cousin kind of reached their hands through to pick up their paycheck. I think uh, it was. Yeah. And their incredibly skeevy manager, as he's like giving it to them, kisses their hands, which is the creepiest thing in the world. But it's the type of moment that felt very quiet. And I, I think throughout the movie, we see a lot of female bodies facing a lack of autonomy. Well, I want to take it one step further than that, because yeah. that's very true. But one thing I was just typing down to remind myself to say, as you were saying that, was that basically every time a man appears on screen in this movie, it's scary. And yeah. the, the movie doesn't have to go to... It's not doing a lot to like impart that fear in the audience. I... I, it's not, like you're not seeing a lot of work to get to that point. I would say even before you see that manager kiss her hand, uh, kiss their hands, I think there's I think there's a moment, I think, when she leaves the restaurant in the first scene with the family oh, from yeah. the talent show where there's just a man walking down the street and uh, behind her. As she, like, she's already had this really upsetting experience with some of her classmates in that restaurant. But then you turn and it's dark outside and you don't know where she's going. And you just she looks behind and it's not even like the move. The, the, the shot doesn't linger on it for too long. But there's just a guy there, and I'm like, God, this girl is young, and we're at night, and I don't know where she's going, and I just see this guy, and I was already scared for her. And I think that happens with a couple shots on the subway too, and not just. Oh, when, I, and, I was and, thinking of the subway. But yeah. no, I don't even not even just where the guy's masturbating. I think there's even a couple other uh, moments that are like that where I'm well, like, I, I think a lot of what it is is it's not that something does go wrong. It's just we're very aware that something easily could go wrong. But basically, it's like. We, at like the audience in the girl's shoes, are just deeply afraid of the fact that something could happen at any moment. That's um, well played, and, and that that's that's kind of the the element of a lurking sexual terror and a lack of autonomy that like really struck me. It's just the the fact that there there is no safe zone. There is no there there are very few spaces in the movie where the girls are able to relax because just there is always the possibility of a very male possibility of some, of something being able to intrude into any space they're in. Yes. And I will say that the male thing is part of that, but I think it's almost even larger, but it goes to what you said about there. Just, you're always afraid something's going to go wrong for them. And I think part of the genius of this movie, and it's twofold. One, I, I went into it expecting it to be just based on the few things I had heard about the plot. I thought it was going to be like a movie about the red tape and the law and all the different barriers that are put in place to make abortion access harder. And I think one of the smartest things about it is that it's about everything else that makes it really hard besides that stuff, and we're already very aware of that stuff if you're someone that pays attention to these issues. Yeah. And so I, I, I had my expectations upended when it turned out not to be about that, but then I was like, oh, okay, so it's going to be about everything else that could possibly go wrong, even if that stuff's not a problem. And well, I also think we do see just enough of it. 
Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you see, you see what the law in Pennsylvania is, which is why they have to go to New York in the first place. But I guess my point being that once they got into Planned Parenthood in New York, like no one was doing anything wrong to them once they got there. Like that, those people were very professional and everything. But I kept thinking, like, as someone who has been to New York a lot but never lived there, I know the subway like the back of my hand. I was just there for five days and at the end of December, and I stayed in like deep, fairly deep Brooklyn. I came into Penn Station on a train from Philadelphia, and I I left. My last stop was in deep in Queens before my cousin who lived there drove me to the airport, and I didn't take a taxi or an Uber the whole time I was there. I can do the subway pretty good at this point, but I'm like, I was like, these girls are going to get on the wrong damn train. Like, I'm like, that's where this movie's going to go, or someone's going to steal their money, or they're going to leave a suitcase somewhere, and because I, 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 one of the things that was like, wow, this is a great New York movie, was like knowing how to get the goddamn roller suitcase through the subway turnstile. And like, I had a couple instances where like, I had to like get the, I had to get the subway worker to like roll the turnstile for me again, because I'd had to scan my card to get my, I had to scan my card to get my suitcase through. And you can't scan your card twice, even if you have an unlimited card, because you might be giving it to someone else. And I was like, one of them is going to fuck up with their suitcase and it's going to be a whole thing. So I kept seeing all these parts where I thought the movie was going to like, make something awful happen in that regard. And they didn't have any issues of those kinds. And like I said, it's scary every time a man shows up and we kind of learned that that guy that like hits on them is he's ultimately kind of a creep, but it's not as bad as you initially think it maybe could be. And I, and I, so I just kept thinking something was going to go terribly wrong. And I'm like, the, the really smart thing about this movie is that it's showing that like, look, if, even if you don't have some terrible mistake with your, uh, where, where like something goes wrong and someone perpetrates a crime upon you, or you get lost, or you get lost in a big city, even if like everything goes right in that regard, this is still really hard to people that come up from a certain socioeconomic background. And I don't know how many discussions you ever get into with people about the law and the Supreme Court and stuff like that. But I mean, I'm a lawyer and I'm around these things, and I'm also from the Panhandle of Florida, which uh, is just very very different politically and has a certain view of these things. But it also, there's also a certain brand of conservative person who uh, might vote for Republican all the time, but like they don't really care that strongly about abortion, and they might even consider themselves pro-choice. And But then if you point out the fact that, like, look, if the Supreme Court gets very heavily slanted to one side, it's probably going to go away. Like, that's just what, or abortion's going to go underground. I shouldn't say it's going to go away, but it's not going to be legal. And I remember saying that the, like, one of these people that I would exp- describe as that kind of Republican, not long after the uh, Kavanaugh hearings and stuff like that, and just about what was going to happen if Trump got to appoint another person, and like, oh, abortion's never going to go away. We've had it since Roe versus Wade. So there's so there some people that think that it's just going to be a given. And, like, they think that, like, it's already just a thing that anyone can do as it is. So it's just not going to go away. It's already too present. And it's like, no, it's not even a matter of like uh, electing another couple of Supreme court justices. And that's what it's going to take to like make abortion hard. It's already really hard. Even if you can physically get to a clinic where it's like that people are going to treat you well. And I thought this movie just got it that really well, where it's like most other factors being equal. If you come from a certain place and don't have a lot of money, abortion's really not an option to you anyway. Yeah. I mean, this, the, the, if, if there's kind of a central political issue in the movie, it's not the legality of abortion, it's access to abortion. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we kind of see, if, if there is kind of a representation of that obstacle, the most obvious one would be the doctor in her in, in her town. Oof, yeah. Um, the scene where, base, like, the first scene where they kind of address abortion between those two characters, and 
uh, Autumn is basically immediately confronted with, well, kind of abortion. Abortion is wrong, and it's like it, it basically the the notion of it is a possibility. She gets she gets shown really. one of those crazy videos. It's yeah, normally yeah, the only kind of thing that like I've never seen. I hear people yell about it in like clips that people play of Fox News because I don't watch Fox News, and like that's a thing where it's like these people like showing these videos that go viral on the internet, and then it turns out they're selectively edited, and it's like you hear about this stuff as like conspiracy shit all the time. It's like wow, like actually yeah, that could easily oh get, no, that's very that, that that could get played to a seventeen year old girl in an abortion clinic or not. I shouldn't say it's an abortion clinic, like an OBGYN's. Office. Yeah. Um, actually, circling back to something you you brought up earlier, yeah. I, I did want to talk about this as a New York movie mm-hmm. because weirdly enough, the filmmaker who I found myself thinking of most as a comparison point for this would be Sidney Lumet. Okay. Have, have you seen much of his stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm working on getting more of it in my. I've seen like eight or nine of his movies. I I want to I want to kick out a couple of the problematic directors that are in my most viewed on Letterbox and get him up there. And I, I just watched the Anderson tapes uh, about, about a, week, a week and a half ago. And okay. so I mean I, I mean I've seen I've seen others. I mean I you know I mean who hasn't seen Network and um, well you, you've seen Dog Day. No, Dog Day is like literally. Okay, like, I'm probably watching it this weekend. I, I will say I actually. A, a rare rewatch, but I rewatched it about uh, a year and a half ago because Tamara Jenkins, the director of Private Life, mm-hmm. did like a special screening of the movie with her and Katherine Hahn talking about how much they loved it afterwards. Really? So it's like, yeah, well, this seems like a good reason to rewatch it. And and God, it, it, it's like been on my list. I'm finally knocking out all these old movies while quarantined, and like it's coming up. So I wish I had seen it before we talked about this now. But I say what you want to say, and I'm sure it'll help yeah. me when I watch the movie. There's something about the way Lumet captures New York. And it's it's kind of the the community aspect of it, but it's even the way the streets are shot. Never really, sometimes, always reminded me a lot of the way Lumet captures New York. And it reminded me of like I I lived in New York for a bit, and it reminded me of the feeling of getting there and the feeling of getting to know the city. And it felt like a very textured portrait of New York, which is not something I was expecting going in, into this movie. I, I thought the way. The way Eliza Hittman shot the underground was stunning to me. Yeah, because the one bad decision these girls make, and like I said, I was thinking they were going to make a bunch of them, but the one bad decision they make was is not taking Planned Parenthood up on the offer to uh, utilize the volunteers that will help people like them. Yeah. And I'm like, all right. And I, as soon as they make – she, well, ma- as But soon at as- the same time, I think that like – I, it, it's a bad decision, but it's a bad decision that I can understand. Oh, you no, know, it's totally understandable that they wouldn't – like, I mean, looking at like that, I'm like, anyone that is that kind of volunteer for Planned Parenthood, like, they're a hero as far as I'm concerned, and they're probably very good people that are screened. But, like, those girls of that age are not going to quite understand that. So I, I, I didn't think it was a I, – I didn't think it was a bad character choice or anything. It made sense to yeah. me. But I was like, as soon as she makes that call, my head goes to – Oh, we know they don't have the kind of money to go get a hotel. Like this is going to be like a like a a real tough adventure for them in New York City. And yeah. how are and like it could be worse actually in that like there are other cities with like fewer businesses that stay open like all night than New York. So they they would have been worse off in like Philadelphia or something. Uh, but like I was like, where are they going to go? And there's certain kind of like the feeling of the places they ended up definitely felt like really really true to life. Yeah, I, that scene in the arcade was fantastic. Oh, um, but yeah, I uh, I don't know. It, it's circling back to kind of another thing we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. This this is kind of another one of those things that the movie didn't do that I was incredibly thankful for. Mm-hmm. 
I have a very strong pet peeve with rape being used for drama. Well, it's, like, it's, like, it's like it's like the inciting event of like half of our pop culture for yeah and, and that's not to say that there are no that it is never acceptable to use yeah. but it's it's something that's become overused as a basically as a way of adding like so basically it's i it, it, it's it's kind of hard to it, it's something it's something that i've thought about a lot um there there's a a comic writer i really love named grant morrison mm-hmm and he went on kind of a rant about Alan Moore, who he's kind of like friendly or not so friendly rivals with. And something he said was everything that Alan Moore has ever written has rape in it. Every single thing. Hmm. And it kind of got me thinking, even if you want to kind of touch on the issues that surround sexual assault and kind of lack of, of sexual autonomy, do you need to have the actual act depicted? And it's something that I feel like, and the, the, once I kind of realized that it's, it's kind of, I've noticed more and more how often rape and sexual assault is used for shock value and is used as basically an almost kind of exploitative shorthand. Oh, for sure. Um, and I, the way I generally feel about it is it should it should be present if and only if you are actually going to be addressing the larger issues of it. Otherwise, it feels for the most part irresponsible to to put in, especially because it is something that is likely traumatic for people watching it. Hmm. Um, and look, I mean, I knew going in, Eliza Hittman was a female filmmaker who I had heard really great things about. But getting back to that kind of exploitative shock value thing I was worried about going in, whenever we got to one of those moments where kind of a male character inspiring terror enters the film, somewhere in the back of my head is like, oh, God. so this is where we, we this is where the sexual assault happens to kind of really hammer home the the, the terror of the moment. And that never happened. And the film didn't need it. Yeah, I mean, the the, the, clo- the closest we ever see to like to that, and it really isn't that, is Skyler was the cousin. Yep. Just to make sure, Skyler kind of basically letting the the the, the creepy dude make out with her, which. But I mean, it's it's, really it's kind of her running a con, but at the same time, it's kind of him being a creep. But it's not like you said she wasn't being forced to do that, but it was what she was having to do. She wanted to get that money. Which I mean, I'm not the guy shouldn't have given her the money, but he probably also shouldn't have like conditioned her, that conditioned him giving conditioned him giving her money on that in the first place. So, like it was just a creepy thing to do. But well, what, what, more more what I mean by that is it's the only kind of depiction we actually see of of actual lack of sexual autonomy rather than kind of a lurking lack of sexual autonomy. Right, and that gets to one of the other big things I wanted to talk about the movie, and that it's like a I don't know. It looks like for a second, Autumn is going to confront them in that moment and it's going to be some big blow up of a scene but instead she just grabs Skylar's hand and I, that was very powerful and like an, kind oh, yeah. of an understated way for that scene to play out and that was basically how the, the film handled their entire relationship which I just found very smart and very satisfying and that one other thing I kept waiting for to happen and not necessarily dreading but just assuming it was going to happen was that we were going to have some big emotional scene between the two of them 
where Autumn was going to have to like just break down and thank her and say how much she loved her and how she didn't, uh, you didn't have to do this, but thank you so much. I love you. Like you're, you're the best. You did this for me. And there's never really an exchange like that. Like these two girls just kind of get each other and it's just understood that they are there for each other. And the movie doesn't give you that big, like emotional scene between the two of them. It just like trusts you to understand like, no, they got each other's backs, and that's all you really got to know. And I and I kind of liked that. That was how it went about portraying those two. Oh, it was a very honest and just empathetic portrait of of, of the relationship between those two characters. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, even the, the moments of friction that we see between them, I like they're very easily like Autumn going through a situation that is emotionally incredibly stressful, mm-hmm. and it's it's not that. There, there's no villain in the relationship between those two characters, even when there, there are moments where they're angry at each other, even when there are moments where they're frustrated with each other. It's very clear that the bond they have um, is strong enough that they, they are there for each other no matter what. And, and that, the, 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 that beat with um, the hand touch, mm-hmm. it, it was just incredibly beautiful to me, too. And it was just this very quiet acknowledgement of love and I, I gratitude, but gratitude doesn't feel like the right word for it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, just, I, I really love the relationship between the two cousins. Um, and actually, I thought in general, the movie did a really good job of remaining stripped down and fairly like there there are echoes of neorealism in in the way it kind of presented the characters uh very stripped down very honest very um without histrionics and it felt like the right thing to do especially since autumn the main character was fairly withdrawn and i think the one moment where we really see something approaching uh, something bigger is the moment that for me was the most heartbreaking of the movie and honestly one of the best cinematic moments I've seen in a long time, Mm -hmm. which was the title drop. The scene where Autumn uh, – it's the screening before – it's the the screening before – the first part of the procedure where she's basically asked uh, a series of questions. Yeah. The, res- the options she's given to respond are of course, never rarely, sometimes always mm-hmm. um, now not having gone through an abortion. I don't know if this is just what the norm is at every like abortion. I don't know. So I, this is not something I was anticipating going in, but the se- the sequence where she's basically asked questions about have you ever Mr. Sexual History her sexual history, but, but also her ab- abuse history. Yeah, and you basically see her being forced to ask herself question, ask herself questions that she has never actually asked herself. And yeah, and recontextualize like a lot of the encounters she's had in the past. Yeah, um, and there there is one particular implication of abuse that. It's not exactly like stated, but is at least somewhat implied, um, which is the mother's boyfriend. Hmm. 
I don't like it's another one of those things that's never outright stated, but I've seen some critics basically imply that the the father of Autumn's child was the boyfriend. And and we have that moment early on with him and the dog, which is just such a weird and creepy moment. Yeah. Where it's basically him exerting his authority to touch this creature that does not want to be touched. And I, I think that's part of why, combined with kind of the series of questions that some critics have suggested he may be the father. I don't know if this is true, but I do think it's at least somewhat implied. But just to go back to the scene itself. Yeah. It's some of the best facial acting I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Because you're. We should, so we should, we should remind everyone again, this, this young woman has never acted before either. Yeah. And and she was, how how old? I, I think she was like seventeen or eighteen um, yeah. when she was actually, like in the movie. Yeah. But, basically, the the series of questions are it's kind of escalating. Starts out with kind of have you like had like have you been sexually active? Have you like how many partners have you had? But it starts to get into, for example, have you ever had sex in a moment where you did not want to? Um, has a partner ever been violent with you? Um, and kind of the questions start to gear more towards questions that from the outside read pretty obviously as traumatic and abusive, but that from Autumn's perspective, we're seeing very clearly that she's never been forced to ask herself, were these moments okay? Mm-hmm. Um, was there something wrong or like wrong or unhealthy about the way she was treated by, by her partners? And her, we're seeing her ask herself, those questions in real time. And I, one of the most exciting things to see from any actor is discoveries happening in the moment. And we're seeing this character very obviously make these discoveries in the moment. And, and I just thought it was, it was heartbreaking, but it was an incredible sequence. No. Especially, and it's done in basically a one so. Yes, it is, and I, uh, I, th- I think I heard in an interview with uh, Eliza Hitman that the, the woman asking those questions is an actual like Planned Parenthood counselor type of person too. Yeah, so, I think I saw that. Yeah, so I mean, like it's a, it's just a very, very like, auth- I mean, I, I don't want to say authentic. Like it, it, it is a movie, but it just like, it, it just feels like uh, it felt like a real professional asking her the questions, and you could, you could just kind of tell like throughout a lot of the movie, she had seemed like somewhat. I don't want to say disaffected, but like maybe not as like not as angsty and stressed out as one might expect someone like going through like some kind of journey like these two characters go on through most of this movie. And it is once like she actually has to like confront these like really hard uh, truths about her past like that you can kind of see it all kind of catch up to her. And it, it is like very powerful as, as Ben described. And I mean, I would assume anyone that's still listening to us, like watch the movie. Like I, I didn't really want to like go through the, the, the trouble of trying to figure out where to, where to cut off a spoiler section for this movie. I'm just going to tell everyone beforehand, like you should watch it. So, um, I'm, I'm thinking anyone that's already, that's still listening to us, like has already seen this. So I don't really need to explain what anyone watched, but I mean, I, I, I can't imagine how anyone watched that and wasn't incredibly moved. Yeah. Is there is there are there any other parts of this movie you want to touch on that we didn't already get to? We we already talked about the New Yorker of it all and their relationships and just the bigger picture um, messaging of it. Was there something else that we didn't touch on yet? I mean, those are kind of the main things I want to talk about. I mean, yeah. look, I, I can praise 
little things about the movie to death. I think it has one of the more underrated scores um, in a long time. Okay. Um, and I, I'm blanking on who did the music, but it was someone fairly unusual. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, like I vaguely... Music by someone named Julia Holter. That, okay, yeah, that's right. Uh, Julia Holter is a, a singer and musician who is very good. Total unmovie plug, but you should go listen to Julia Holter, anyone listening, and you should also listen to Boy Genius, which is a project that uh, Holter did with Lucy Dacus and Phoebe Bridgers. Hmm. They did an EP, and it's it's just like a really beautiful, stripped down, but like incredibly poetic EP. Um, anyways, but yeah, that's I, I knew it was someone. I, I was fairly certain it was someone from the indie scene. But yeah, so I, I thought that it was very tonal. Like it, 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 it didn't. It, it was unmanipulative, but very tonally appropriate. And also, I don't. It's it's been over a month since I've seen the movie, yeah. so I am a little rusty on on a few details. Mm-hmm. But I just remember feeling like the balance between sound and image was surprising to me. But yeah. I, so, like, there are a lot of little technical things I can praise about the movie. I thought it was beautifully shot, incredible. Like, the, the lighting was fantastic, and like, there's a very subtle use of color, especially in the underground sequences. Yeah, for I'll, I'll, just, I'll add on to that. Just I mean, just for a low budget movie like that to capture New York like uh, that well and to not is really impressive to me. Yeah, um, I, I, I really I, sh- I don't know what else to say other than it's a really beautiful surprising down to earth movie that avoids a lot of the things you may be worried about from the description. Like it's, there are so many little vignettes that just feel like almost like short films in in and of themselves. And yeah, I mean, just it's, it's a, I mean, it's, it's streaming right now and you should really go watch it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a they made, so it was one of those things like I said where the movie had just hit theaters when the theater shut down. So they did what a lot of the more higher profile movies did, and they put it on, online for twenty bucks. And uh, I know that that's been a controversial price point for a lot of people. But if you have one other person to watch it with, then you're you're getting your money back on what you would in a theater. So I I highly recommend anyone do it if they have the chance. If you're, I mean, obviously you have the whole entire internet of old movies to watch, but if you are curious to see a movie that's going to end up on a lot of people's top 10 lists at the end of the year, especially now that a lot of movies aren't going to come out this year, then uh, it's one I recommend. The one other thing I'll add about the movie too, that we do, we just talked a lot about that, uh, the big climactic sequence, the interview sequence. And the one other thing I think it's important that that scene accomplishes is again, and I think it's a testament to this movie that it's not like didactic or an after-school special or anything like that. But it, that scene gets the point across that this is not like a decision that people make lightly when they do it. And I think like anti-abortion advocates often just make it seem like people just you know they they hop off and they just get an abortion like the without thinking twice. And that women that make that choice, it's just something that they 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 just do without thought and they're out there being reckless and the the way they handle their sexual activity and then they just go and they get abortions like they're just like trip to the grocery store and i think that scene just kind of proves that like look even if you're not at one of those abortion clinics that's gonna play this scary movie for you it's still a really tough experience even if the people that are handling it are like professional and doing everything they're supposed to do it is still a very hard thing to go through regardless and i think it it not only like 
it serves all the purposes that we already just discussed, but it, 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 it's, it gets that simple, very important point about abortions across also, which I think is, it's, well, yes, you can be taught that or you can hear that from uh, people that speak on behalf of, like, abortion rights. Like, to see it depicted so powerfully in a movie is also a pretty important thing. So. Well, yeah, and I, I also I don't think the movie attempts to say that this is every abortion and this is everyone's experience with abortion. Right, and um, I, was, I was actually going to make a point about that when we because I'm going to recommend other movies at the end of the podcast, and I was actually going to make that point again with respect to a couple of the other movies I wanted to recommend because there's a lot of movies about abortion that aren't about abortion access, you know. Yeah, well, and it's it's also worth mentioning that look, I mean, what what you're saying about kind of it being a choice that autumn thinks about a lot and that she takes very seriously. I don't think the movie is making the case that abortion has to be a traumatic experience. That's it, that's just, for me, a distinction that I think is worth making. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah um, I guess so. It, it doesn't have to be, but, like, it can be because of all the cir- circumstances around it. Yeah, like, just because I, I didn't want people to think that, like, the movie is making the case that, like, basically, if you do not have an existential crisis about your abortion, there there is something wrong. Which, again, it's... It, it's a little tangent, like tangential, but I just I did think it was a distinction worth making because it does treat Autumn's internal struggle with it very seriously. But yeah, I just I, I don't like it. Feels very specific to her as a character. Mm-hmm. Like everything about the way she approaches it, it feels very specific to her. She doesn't feel like a stand-in for every woman, which I think w- would have been problematic if if they were to try to go that route but yeah um i i I definitely agree with you though about the way it depicts abortion and and the way it depicts by and large the people who who perform the abortions um i would say with the exception of obviously the hometown doctor at the beginning everyone autumn meets in the movie treats her very respectfully and very compassionately even if there is a level of service that they are not able to provide. Like the woman at the first clinic, just she isn't able to kind of. Yeah, do and I guess you kind of learned there, and I don't think I even made the connection at the time that like the first woman lied about how far along she was too. Yeah, and that's kind of what happens there. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a very it's it's a compassionate and kind portrait of basically the volunteer, like the, the volunteers and the people who perform and assist in abortions on. Um, and yeah, I, just, I, I think the movie gets a lot of things right. I can't obviously speak to the accuracy of the procedure or, or kind of just the accuracy of, of how it depicts the pro, like the, the abortion process. Mm-hmm. Um, having not what I would consider a spectacular amount of experience um, as, as a woman undergoing an abortion. Yeah. But it seems very honest and accurate and most of the like the response seems to be that yeah it gets a lot of things right so yeah i i I would agree with that so uh i think we both highly recommend it and if you're listening to this as someone that's seen it but is thinking about recommending it to some other people hopefully you could take some of what we talked about and use that as um as this kind of some persuasive arguments for why this is a worthwhile movie if you know someone else that's considering renting it uh Ben, before we go, one thing we've been doing a lot of is just asking everyone what they're watching while they're quarantined. And I know that you're a, 
you're, you're somewhat of a, a absolutist and often uh, the theater experience and that's where you watch your movies. But have you have you like elected to watch something else while you've been stuck at home, whether it be actually watching a movie outside of a theater or a TV show or something you'd like to recommend to the listeners that's been giving you some entertainment in this time? Yeah, I, I have watched some movies. It's I mean, like when I say I don't like watching movies outside of theaters, it's like it's physically uncomfortable for me. Like that, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It feels physically uncomfortable to like watch a movie on a laptop. I just, I, it's hard to like pay attention. I feel just like my skin crawls a little bit. It just, it feels wrong. You know what, I, 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 you know, you know what stuff, I've been but, doing that's been a better movie experience for me than watching on my laptop is because, you know, we're trying to like stay active and exercise, not that this is the hardest of exercises, but like I have a better movie going experience when I download a movie onto my iPad and then I just walk around my apartment building and either the outside of it or up from one side of my hall to the other and back only watching it on the iPad because then I can't second screen. I can't pull up my phone if I'm just like watching it while I'm walking. And then it's easier for me than like, like you said, sitting on your laptop. It's just like, it is uncomfortable, especially since I'm so far removed now over a month from being in a theater. It's just like, uh, it really hammers home just like how much better it is to go to a theater. Yeah. I mean, I'd say kind of I've done a lot of reading um, and it's kind of some of the more enjoyable finger quotes content experiences I've had and okay. God, do I hate using that word? <laughs> um, I, I finally saw Fleabag. Uh, oh, it took you long which, enough. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm really, really behind on TV. <laughs> uh, look, everything everyone said about Fleabag, it's, 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 it's totally right. Like, and I know I'm like, I, I am finally the last person in the world watching it, but yeah, it's like every, every bit of praise, totally justified there are so many weird little wonderful things about that show the second season i think is exponentially better than the first but the yeah. first is still pretty good yeah and if, if, if there if for some reason is someone else out there besides ben that hasn't seen fleabag uh it's not a big commitment because like he said there's only two seasons there's six episodes each and they're like at most 25 minutes per episode so it's like yeah. it's really it goes by really fast because it's so good but also because there's not too much of it it's not a huge commitment it's not a daunting seven season series someone's recommending to you yeah it's it's a really smart kind of scrappy weird comedy with very profound moments of existential angst and and like just empathetic characterization um it's yeah it's it's there are so many things it throws together that should not work Hmm. the way the way it works but it, it just every every moment of the show is is fantastic. I'm I, I mean I I'm now all in on Phoebe Waller Bridge. I actually I saw the new the first episode of Run, which I watched, is the I new show that. she did. I watched that too. Yeah. Actually, I look. I mean, it's it doesn't really show a lot. I think of where the rest of the season is going to go, but it at least has me interested, and I really like Merritt Weaver and Donald and Donald Gleason. So. Yeah, I've already in on on one of these other recommendation segments at some point in the last month or like a few episodes ago. I, re- I recommended Unbelievable on Netflix, which Merritt Weaver is also great in, in a totally different kind of role. She's also totally different in Marriage Story too. She is great. Uh, I guess what I'll recommend, like I, I hinted at it earlier, because two other independent movies from the last six years, seven years that I really enjoyed are also about abortions, but a very different kind of movie. And those are Obvious Child and Grandma. I, I, I really adore both those movies, and they are movies where abortion access really isn't the question. And it's more about 
talking one of them is kind of about the the money of it in grandma but they're just it's lily tomlin and julia gardner who everyone's knows right now because everyone and their mom is telling me to watch ozark and i still haven't watched ozark but Same uh, uh so everyone every literally every other conversation i have with someone that's not a work-related conversation i get asked about ozark i'm like look i'm, I'm gonna i have so much other stuff i gotta cross off my list before i do this thing that just seems like off-brand breaking bad i'm sorry i'm oh, i'm refusing to watch it out of principle okay <laughs> I, I i i feel bad taking that kind of stand when like i have my dad like earnestly asking me if I've watched it, but I just can't do it yet when I have like two David Simon series I haven't watched it before. And I'm ashamed of that. Not so ashamed of not having watched Ozark, but like I love Julia Gardner and like um, she's just kind of like in, uh, she's just great in like all these independent movies she does. And I don't need to watch Ozark because of that. But uh, you know, grandma's, I mean, it's her and Lily Tomlin running around and yelling at people for to give them money. And it's for, so she can have an abortion and she doesn't want to talk to her mom about it played by Marsha Gay Harden. And like, it's just, it's just a very f- different kind of buddy, buddy road abortion movie. And uh, Sam Elliott has a great cameo. And uh, yeah, it's just like, it's about a girl and her grandma trying to get something done. And uh, it's about who you can trust in moments like that and who you can talk to. And uh, when you have something like that come up in your life and obvious child's kind of the same thing with someone that kind of just gets pregnant after a one night stand and Jenny Slate's incredible in it. And, you know, I think uh, never really, sometimes always, it's just like extremely important to show uh, that kind of, uh, that kind of side of things from a certain group of people in a certain part of the country when they go through that experience but uh i mean i think something like obvious child is also just it shows that like like ben was saying earlier that like you don't have to put the pressure on someone for abortion to be this like massive scary thing that you should uh necessarily have to think about it that way every time someone goes through it like they should be able to go through it without it being a traumatic experience and obvious child just kind of handles that process in a different way where it's more about who you're going to talk to about it than like actually having the access to it and it's good to kind of show both kinds of story so yep. um but yeah uh, that's that, that's uh, actually one one thing i did want to plug it's yeah. not available yet but how ha- i now that i've actually seen it mm-hmm. um the movie i originally thought i was going to be talking with you next about talking about next on the podcast with you yeah saw first cow god i'm so um, jealous because i don't know when i'm going to see it at this point yeah look i, I don't know when first cow is going to be made available for people who are not in l.a well, it seems like A24 um, is, wants to put it in a theater, which I'm I'm very happy for Kelly Reichert that they're, like, going to make that happen for her. But it's just I don't know when I'm going to see it because of that, you know? Yeah, I, I will say First first Cow is obviously my movie of the year so far. I would be very unsurprised if even in a good year it ends up as, like, my favorite movie of the year. It's, it's, it, it's such a weird, beautiful, funny movie. And, yeah, it's it's... I mean, look, whenever it comes out, I'm, like, desperate to talk about this movie. Um, but just, like, really, for for anyone who may not be convinced, it's much funnier than Kelly Reichardt's movies normally are. Right. It also has, at the same time, one of the most heart-devastating endings, um, if you're paying attention. But before, but before you say too much about the movie itself, because no one has seen it, can, how about yeah. I ask you this question? Yeah. Because uh, I, think, I think you've seen most of her movies, too. I've seen all of them. It, would it, it seems like it's probably like some kind of a mix between Meek's Cutoff and Old Joy from what I've from what I've heard in a certain way. If you were to like tell someone like, oh, go watch one of these movies, her prior movies, because that will get you excited because this it, this movie has elements of that. Like, is there something you would recommend now that people have to wait to see First Cow? If you're like, go see this Kelly Reichardt movie because of First Cow. You know, if I had to go with one, because Old Joy has a good chunk of it. Like there is that element of male friendship. Mm -hmm. 
the one that I think comes the closest, especially in terms of the way it approaches kind of larger ideas, mm-hmm. would be Certain Women. Oh, okay. Which I think is one of Kelly Reichardt's best movies to begin with. But there is something about the way the larger ideas the characters are, are intersecting with are presented very subtly and kind of elliptically in both of those movies that I think they, that they have in common. I'll also say one one more thing about First Cow without any spoilers whatsoever. Yeah. The people comparing it to Parasite are not wrong. Interesting. So I, I read the—did you read the big—like, uh, was it was it David Sims that got— uh, that got Kelly Reichardt and Bong Joon-ho on a conference call. Uh, it was either him or Bill Jabiri. Okay, uh, yeah. I, I can't remember who it was. That was delightful. I, it's just, I remember uh, when Bong was getting interviewed after Telluride or something like that, someone was asking him, like, you've seen all these movies. Like, what, what do you really like? And he's like, he's like going hard for First Cow. And I was like, this is yeah. wild. I mean, I, I didn't know much about First Cow at that point, And I really didn't know anything about Parasite until I saw Parasite. But I was like, it's really cool that this, like, South Korean guy is, like, going hard for this uh, Kelly Reichardt movie about, like, the the old west you know i mean yeah i mean they're, they're very different movies yeah um and i think but i think they're different in that what what makes parasite parasite is very specific to bong jun ho and what makes first cow first cow is very specific to kelly reichardt but the way they kind of approach ideas of capitalism and class they are definitely very akin to each other um awesome and yeah so really like as soon as that one is available, I cannot recommend it enough. All right, yeah, and everyone, uh, I take take Ben at his word on that because I mean, I just think it's really cool that like because I mean, I mean, a certain woman really didn't get released in theaters anywhere besides, uh, and that was like her biggest. That was like her movie with the biggest stars that she'd done to date. I mean, she has recognizable faces pop up in a lot of her movies, but like that. That I mean, that, that was a movie that had like Kristen Stewart and Laura Dern and Michelle Williams, and uh, it just it wasn't really that seen that far and wide it seems like a24 is gonna do that for first cow and i think it's like really important to support her as a filmmaker so i hope everyone takes you at your word and go sees it once they put it in more than five theaters or whatever it actually got released in so uh yeah uh thank you for giving us a sufficient tease on that i look forward to theaters being open at some point later this year and seeing first cow and uh talking about it here again so uh ben thanks so much for joining me uh stay safe out there and maybe we'll have you come back at some point next few months to talk about an old movie and make, make you rewatch something. Cause we know you love to do that. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's all we're going to be doing here in the rewind until who knows, maybe July. So maybe we'll see you for something old. I don't know, but thanks for joining us. Sounds good. All right, everyone. Uh, yeah. Last plug. Oh, sorry. Love, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to plug? Like personal? Yeah, honestly, really just love yourself guys. Like I, like I, I know things are like, especially, if you are feeling like you are being unproductive right now, um, please, please, please be compassionate towards yourself and understand that we are all going through something that is truly insane and that however you go through it, whatever you do or don't do is okay. So just please love yourself, guys. Well said. It's okay if you spend all day watching movies and you don't accomplish some other great task or something, you know? Uh, I think that's an important thing for people to keep echoing because there's a lot of people out there on, that like to flex on social media about how they've learned 15 new recipes or something like that. Sorry, I haven't been doing that myself. I'm being, uh, I'm really just sitting around and watching a bunch of stuff. 
and I'm fine with that. Uh, ben, thank you so much. Everyone else, I'm I, I'm I'm kind of taking this week by week. I mean, I because I, it's just w w whatever I can find next on my list of things to watch and things I want to revisit here is what's coming up. And I so I just haven't figured it out yet, but we'll definitely see you next week. So please stay tuned for that. And thanks for listening.